What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. Super glad you can join us today. I am your host, Nick James, as always, along with my co-host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how's it going, sir? Fantastic. Uh, I love in this show that we get to talk with um, entrepreneurs and investors all over the country. I especially love it, though, when we get to uh, talk with somebody who is from the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) So I'm going to let you do a full intro of our guest, uh, Corey. But um, I'm really excited to, to dig in with him. There's, there's certainly an affinity for another guy with Northwest Roots, but also super interested in what he's doing in the mobile home park asset class. So, Nick, I'll let you take it away with a, an introduction, but I'm very excited I'm, to be here. I'm super excited as well. And, Nick, I don't know that I could do a better introduction than you've done, but I will, uh, I'll do my best. So we are uh, connecting with Corey Harrelson here today. He is somebody that I've had a chance to get to know. He is an entrepreneur. He is an investor. He's a family man. And yes, he is from the Pacific Northwest as well. Uh, Corey, thanks for being on. How are you, sir? Doing awesome. Doing great. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've uh, we've teased already that you're from the Northwest. So tell us a little bit about where you are, where you grew up. Kind of give us the, the background of who, who, who Corey is. Sure. So I can't claim original Northwest. We uh, my we, we moved my my, uh, my wife and I moved to Boise, Idaho, in 2011. Uh, so I grew up actually down in Southern California and and um, bounced around there a bit. And we were living in Los Angeles before we made that move. And it was there's so much fun stuff to do there, but you just can't get to any of it. So we uh, the traffic was kind of sucking <laughs> away. So we we had to go somewhere and and. Um, yeah, I chose to move to Boise at the time. I, I used to rock climb a lot, and so I, I was trying to be closer to oh, the mountains cool. was one of my motivations there. So, yeah, that's what drove us to Boise. That, that's all. Was it was it mostly rock climbing then that brought you, or what What else put Boise on the map? Um, well, it was a lot. So I, I, I read a book in 2006 uh, called Let My People Go Surfing, because I used to surf a lot when I lived by the coast. And then, but it, it's yeah. by Yvonne Chouinard. It ended up, the whole book was about rock climbing, and like all these guys who like gave up their career and lived out of their car to so they could climb more and i was like well that must be pretty fun so i i uh I, I started climbing and got really into it, rock, ice, snow, mountains. And so I was, Whoa. you know, I was driving, but it's, it's like living in, we were living in, in Los Angeles. So I was driving multiple hours every weekend to get somewhere to climb. And I was like not spending time with my wife. And I, it was, it was just not sustained. We didn't have kids yet. We do now, but it was like, this won't work. Um, and so we, we were, when we wanted to get out of LA, we were looking at places that were close to the mountains. So we were looking at, but it was 2011. There weren't many jobs. So I was looking at Truckee. I looked at Boulder, Colorado, Salt Lake City. City. And um, I knew a guy who, from my my work, who had moved up and started an office in Boise. Um, okay. And, and yeah, I was like, oh, Boise's got mountains. So I, I just called him up one day and was like, hey, do you need another person? And he was trying to grow the office there. So, um, so yeah, so we worked out, and we we love it. I'll, I'll, I haven't looked back once. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, can we give you credit with uh, starting the trend of uh, people moving from LA to, to Boise? Because you've seen a massive, massive growth over the last three or four years, right? Especially with people coming from um, California and surrounding states. They're all states. kind of flooding in. I've been here for twelve, uh, was it twelve years now? So maybe I, I, I like to claim that I'm an Idahoan, but um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but but yeah, no. It's it's been uh, it's there's been a big influx from from. I get a lot of uh, port. I get a lot of Portland and Seattle folks yeah. too. Yeah, basically everybody oh, yeah. from the coast. 
kind of coming in, totally. especially since COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I, even starting with that, I love that uh, you know you you found a hobby, you wanted to check it out, you dove into it, and that was the reason to move. And speaking uh, first with firsthand experience, we've contemplated a move multiple times, and we like have the whiteboard out, and we're like pros and cons, and what are the reasons we should, and let's spend months talking about it. You were just like, hey, I. You know, it made sense and it was closer to my hobby and something that I love to do. And uh, so you guys went with it. I, I think we probably made a pro and con list too first, but, <laughs> but yeah, we, there was, it took a few, it took, it took, you know, several months to figure out, okay, but, okay. Um, but once we decided sure. to go, then we just, then we just, it took a weekend to convince my wife. She was like, Idaho potatoes. What? Like yeah. we, we took a weekend trip up and by the end of the weekend, it was like, nope, we're going. Um, That's awesome. So. That's yeah. yeah, I mean, 2011, I don't think Boise was on the map in the same way that it is yeah. nowadays uh, for, for people to consider to move there. So you, you, in a lot of ways, I think uh, we're ahead of the, the trend in, in making that move. Um, what were you doing for work when you first moved up? Yeah, so um, I have been a structural engineer for 18 years now. So I was six years in at that point. Um, so okay. worked with architects to try to make buildings not fall down was the... Job. <laughs> that is a, an important task, and yeah. as somebody who uh, spends a lot of time in buildings, I'm grateful for <laughs> you and the, the people in, in your field. Um, but that's that's awesome. So 18 years, I imagine you went to school for that as well. Did you go to college in California? Or? I did. Yeah, I went to UC Santa Barbara for undergrad, and then uh, UC San Diego for graduate school. Um, so yeah, yeah, did, did that, and then. Um, uh, yeah, so I actually actually just just uh, just gave notice at that job on Friday. Um, so I am kind of winding that phase of my life down right now. Um, so that's my my big uh, yeah my my big transition right now. But um, yeah. yeah, that's that's exciting, and we're we're gonna we're gonna get to present day and you know the thought process behind putting in your notice, what you're what you're gonna be doing now, what you've been doing over the last couple years, which. Uh, which I want to dive into, but I, I want to go back just a little bit further. So obviously California growing up there, um, you know, I know that you have some entrepreneur spirit, spirit in you, some investor spirit. Is that something that you were self-taught? Was your family, was your folks entrepreneurial? I mean, where does that side of you come from? Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur for sure, but it's kind of like he, so he was a respiratory therapist, uh, and then he ended up kind of running the respiratory therapy department in a hospital, um, in, in California. And then he broke off and started his own medical equipment business. So he, it was called, it used to be called Alpine Medical. So he, him and his buddy basically broke off and started that. So he definitely went the entrepreneur route. Um, and then, and then he had a few other, um, businesses after that too. Uh, but it was kind of interesting cause it was, it was, I never really felt like I was encouraged to go that route. It was always mm -hmm. like, you should go to college, you should get a job. You should, you know what I mean? It was, it was very, um, um, yeah, I guess I just didn't feel there was like like when I, when I, everything I've always done, it's always like really you're going to do that, but but then it's like they're they're doing it too. So it's been an interesting <laughs> interesting dynamic. So yeah, yeah. What were some of your first like 
entrepreneurial uh, endeavors um, as far as, so uh, even though being encouraged to take the more uh, traditional path and, and get into kind of stable W-2 uh, work, like early on, were there side hustles or different things that you were starting to build or um, will, uh, I, I know we've teased the, the real estate investing and in, in particular mm-hmm. mobile home parks, but um, just kind of trying to get a understanding of what led uh, down that path to actually going all in on mobile home parks, which we'll, we'll get to. Totally. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, there was some things that like, like when I was in high school, I used to go to, I I figured out that they sold, uh, candy bars on campus for 50 cents, but the 99 cent store across the street sold them four for a dollar. So I used to go buy them four for a dollar and then, and then provide the service of actually being able to buy them in class and selling my buddies. But, but, uh, I don't know. Um, um, (laughs) That's a awesome. Bit of that. But but yeah. I think mostly once I I, I was I, I honestly was kind of in like zombie mode. Um not zombie mode, but I mean I, I was I was just go to school, get a job. I wanted to go rock climbing. I didn't want to think about personal fun. I was like, oh retirement. I think you think about that when you turn sixty five. I didn't I was totally clueless until I ha- I had like a snap moment. Um Hmm. Um, when I, so it's, it's, you know, as I was working more and more, I, I brought on, I took on more responsibilities and then I, I, my hours just kind of skyrocketed. My wife and I had a kid, um, our first kid. And, um, I, I was, you know, got to the point where I was working 60 to 80 hour weeks, um, just super stressed out all the time. And it was like, I felt like I was missing seeing my kid grow up. It sucked. Hmm. Um, and then I had, there was, there was, um, one day when um, I had been on like a real work bender, um, I, I don't think I'd seen him in about a week because I'd leave before he woke up and I'd get home after he was already in bed. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it was, I think it was a Sunday and I was, where I just had so much still to do. Like it's probably like, if I'm going to get all this done, I need to pull an all nighter. But I was just like, screw this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I was like, I'm going to go home and at least tuck my kid into bed, right? And give him a bath and tuck him in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went home and I went to give him a bath and he looked at me like he didn't even know me. And he started crying when I was going to take away from my, it was, it was, it sucked. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I kind of snapped, um, <laughs> um, at that yeah. point I was like, I've got to figure out. So I didn't know what I needed to figure out, but I just knew I needed, to, this isn't sustainable. I can't, I can't do this, um, in perpetuity. Um, and so that's when that's when I, I just knew I needed to do something. I didn't know what it was. So then I just started talking to people, and um, somebody gave me um, the book. It's the same book that everybody says, right? But it's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and and, yeah. and it's like, oh, assets that pay you. <laughs> totally blew my mind. Like it's not complicated. It's anyone who's already into investing. Like like the, it's very basic stuff. But it's it's like yeah. if you don't even know that world exists. Yeah. So I, I read that. My mind blew up, and then I started reading a whole bunch of other books, and <laughs> kind of went down uh, a long rabbit hole. But but yeah. So that's for for me. It was it was like it was in 2015, and it, it was like a snap. It, it was like just fortuitous that somebody gave me that book right when I needed it. Um, <laughs> And then, and then I knew that world existed, and so then I started reading everything else I could and trying to figure it out. But it is remarkable for how many times, uh, even in my own life, actually. Um, but how many, how consistently I've heard "Rich Dad Poor Dad" has been like a watershed moment for so many investors and entrepreneurs or, or people who are going in one direction, and then it's just like the scales fall off of your eyes. Is like, oh, like 
buy assets that pay me stop trading my my time for dollars and uh and the, the number of people that have made massive shifts in a lot of ways what we're doing with abundant journey and our own investment journey um was could probably first be traced back to a lot of the principles of reading rich dad poor dad so uh you're in good company with uh with nick and i and uh, having had that sort of experience yeah, um, nobody teaches that stuff right like you don't hear about it that's you don't what's know crazy. about it and it's like oh man um um, it's so it's such a powerful concept and now it's like it's it just seems like now because i'm immersed in it right so it it just seems like well duh but but it's not that obvious it's you know the culture at my work was just like oh i worked a 60 hour week oh yeah well i worked a 70 hour week well i worked an eight and it was just this really unhealthy like like just grindaholic kind of um, culture. Even yeah. great, I don't mean to bash the place. It's great. No, 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 no. You know, sure. And, and, and it's interesting projects. I don't mean to bash any of that, but the, the definitely the work culture, especially back when I was in the the California office, was very um, intense. Yeah. Well, and and just what you're getting at is um, how limited time is like that you can't create any more of it. Everybody gets the same number of hours in a day and in a week. And um, while the work may be really exciting and rewarding when you have a a wife and a kid at home, you've got competing sort of desires and, and you have to be able to prioritize. And so it sounds like that was a a huge, huge piece of it for you. It was just, okay, um, I'm good at this job and uh, I'm successful here, but at what cost when it comes to other areas of your life that you want to be successful in and and present for. Right. Totally. Um, in that 2015, as, as things start shifting and shaking with um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and some of the other things that you started to read and conversations that you're having, what were uh, what kind of investments or opportunities initially caught your eye? Or, or another way of asking the question is like, okay, from the moment of getting some of these ideas into you to then actually taking action and making some real changes – what did that process and timeline look like? Yeah, so I, I think um, it it's really a, like there was like a bu- several like books that I read that really opened my eyes. So the first one was Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was just like oh, there's another thing here that I can figure out. And yep. then, um, but after that, it was like I'm working till late in the morning. Like I needed to figure out that stuff too. So really, the first one. So so before I even got fully into the real estate stuff, is like I needed to create some space to be able to actually do the learning and do the thing. So the other book that, that helped me out was, um, miracle morning by Hal Elrod. Um, it just was yeah. like, you control your mornings, right? Like you can, you, you, your day can get away from you and the evening can get away, but like you control when you wake up. Right. So if, if you have, if you know, you have to be here at a certain time, don't just wake up just in time to get ready. And then you're just rushing into the day and, and you just kind of caught in a whirlwind, like actually waking up. And, and he talks about some things in his book that I, I did pretty consistently for several years. I don't do them all now, but, um, but like the, the meditating and affirmations and journaling and, and all, all of that. So, but, but just getting up and actually taking some time to just sit and think and, and, and reading every morning. And th- that, that was the really like the first thing that if I didn't do that, I don't think I could have done any of it because that created the space um, yeah. to learn and then to look for deals. And then, and then the other one was I, I started when I was doing all that thinking, I, I was really like angry and upset and like blaming a lot of like, Oh, my work, why do they demand? So, you know, it was really external. Um, and, um, 
there was I, Jocko made it probably now that extreme ownership thing, but actually th- there's a chapter in uh, Stephen Covey's book Seven Habits um, that that it's the first one. It's called Be Proactive, but it's really like should be called Take Responsibility. I think. Um, but so that was the thing where I was like, okay, if, if I'm supposed to take responsibility, I started really thinking about it. And I'm like, why am I working so many hours? Like, nobody has a gun in my head telling me I can't leave. Um, I've got to get my stuff done. It was like, well, because because I have so much to do, and and, and I, I started really tr- like asking a whole bunch of whys, and and really what it came down to, like I still wasn't getting everything done, right? And 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 so it was like, really what it came down to was I realized that I felt like I was I had stepped up and taken on a bunch more responsibility at work, running these you know multiple hundreds of millions of dollar projects and I'm managing and I'm managing people across all these different offices and I felt like I was failing I, I was doing a crappy job just to be honest at the, at that and so the other kind of piece that I did was like okay well if 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 I'm working so much I'm just trying to put extra hours in to just to, you know to, to fix it but the problem isn't a lack of hours the problem is just that I'm I suck uh, right now at, at my current role that I had kind of stepped up into so uh, maybe I need to just try to get better at that. So then, so then I the, the other book that really helped me. Sorry to just go on like a book. No, that's <laughs> great. Um, yeah. but, um, but so then, then the other book that was really, really uh, helped me out. Like kind of just in these are all just like parallel tracks, I guess. But but the other book was Getting Things Done by David Allen, and it just was like. I had post-its and paper, you know, all kinds of papers with all the different things I had to do and other people had to do. And then a stack of papers would end up on my desk. This is before everything was PDFs um, and, and, and flagged emails and everything. And just, just having a system and a process to be like, I'm going to get my, get my stuff organized and figure out and, and actually like know what is in my court and what is in other people's courts and be able to prioritize it. And just the concept of there's always going to be more to do than you can do. And just getting comfortable yeah. with that and making a this, – this is the time I'm going to dedicate to this and I'm going to make the best decision with that time I can and try to you know, do the highest priority, highest leverage thing um, as yeah. opposed to just tackling things as they're coming at me. So, so the, those two things like the miracle morning and the getting things done really helped me like scale back my work hours and improve my performance at work. And free up time to figure out all this other stuff, which maybe takes us to the real estate thing. So, sorry, there's a long roundabout roundabout way to get there. But I, I thought that was like I, I I wouldn't have had the time to do it if I didn't kind of tackle those two pieces. So, man, that's awesome. And I uh, I'll say this, <clears throat> you know, that miracle morning. I uh, I think I need to buy that book for Nick uh, for your birthday because uh, I'm doing everything I can to make you a morning person. So, uh, you know, <laughs> well, we're gonna get you there, man. I, but. Uh, <laughs> Corey, I was I was starting to laugh as you were talking about. I mean, the first point in uh, Hal's book, uh, Miracle Morning, about you know not waking up right before your first commitment. My alarm didn't go off um, this morning, and so uh, fortunately I rolled over. But Nick was coming over to my house at six a.m. Oh. I looked at my my clock, and it was five fifty four. So so I was like, oh man, I, I I really need to read that book. And really need to up my uh, my my morning routine game. So that one hit me right between the eyes. But it is uh, it is really cool to just hear um, the convergence of uh, those those books that you were reading that time in your life and um, and even to the point that I made a little bit earlier. Yeah, we all have the the same amount of hours in a day, and how you can't create any more of those hours. It is remarkable how by getting more organized, restructuring those, reprioritizing them. Um, you can use your time a whole lot more 
efficiently, effectively, be a lot less stressed out. And, uh, and in some ways then, you know, you're just maximizing the time that you do have and are given. And, uh, what a, what a transformation that, uh, that those three, uh, th- those three books in particular, uh, led to, but yeah, we were starting to get to, um, to mobile home park investing. And, um, so you, you went on a, a pretty long, like educational journey. How many years was that as far as like, uh, putting those, so those things together? That was kind of in parallel. Th- so I, I, that was maybe 2015 and 16 where I was really getting my, okay. getting my ducks in a row and all of that. And then by, by, you know, by the end of 2016, I was back to 40, 45 hours, in managing more projects and they're doing better and we're actually hitting our deadlines and budgets and all the things that, that you care about in the engineering world. Um, um, and then even uh, eventually, which we'll get to, I, I, when, at one point I scaled my job back to part-time. So the last year and a half, I've been only three days a week managing more projects yes. with way more revenue, way more profitably. Um, and yeah, so, so it, it really wasn't like, Hey, I'm not putting enough hours. I need to be working 90 instead of 80. Like that wasn't, mm. that wasn't, answer yeah. so that's good um, yeah um so with with real estate uh then um what uh what did it look like getting into the world of of real estate yeah so i i i did the rich Port thing and i was like oh i need real estate so i just started googling a bunch of stuff and the bigger pockets website popped up a bunch um and so um i think there was a free ebook on there like how to get started and you need to pick a niche so i was like oh um duplex threeplex fourplex that's what i'm gonna do and so i i'm i'm an engineer right i'm, I'm left brain so i i figured out how to make a spreadsheet, like a pro forma spreadsheet. And I started just analyzing a bunch of things. And I was like, I, I knew I could have found good deals if I would have like really like sent mailers and drove for dollars and, and dug. But at first I was just, I was just analyzing things that were listed. So I, just, I literally just went on Zillow and was like, here's a whole bunch of duplex, threeplex, fourplex things. And nothing was even, it wasn't even like things were kind of close. Like, like the rent was going to cover half the more. And this was 2016, even. This is before. Oh wow! Yeah. This is before pandemic craziness. Yeah, before the pandemic and crazy. It was still just like I didn't, didn't seem like they yeah. penciled that much. And like, I, I know I could have like done a whole bunch of digging and found a deal that did. But um, it was I was getting a little discouraged just analyzing all these things. Like, oh, you know, back back then on the the big now people talk about the one percent rule with rentals, right? Where you want the rent to be. Um, one uh, percent of the purchase price to make sure you're gonna like as a rule of thumb that that'll probably cash flow. Back then it was the two percent rule is what they said on all the podcasts. And it was like everything's like half a percent. Like what? Like, um, yeah. So it didn't. So and then I'm, I'm analyzing all these deals and I stumbled across a mobile home park for sale on Craigslist. Um, it was huh. not. I didn't end up buying that one, but it was a nine lot mobile home park in Garden City, which is so Boise has. Uh, there's this city right next to it called Garden City. Um, and it is an interesting place because it's totally like a path of progress, but especially back then, like now there's been a bunch of development there, but back then it was like, it's right on the river, right on the green belt. There were just starting to be some breweries and things popping up. I have this like brewery theory that if you, if you find like the places where the breweries and the wineries are, they, they usually have to open in like lower rent areas, but it's usually where the progress is coming. Mm. So if you, if yeah. you figure out where breweries and wineries are going, like by there, um, but, but so that's uh, listeners, that's the secret <laughs> that's sauce it. right there. You know, <laughs> it's just like right on the, so nice. 
yeah. just these like dilapidated mobile home parks that just don't look like they belong there. And it was like, okay, this, yeah. these are probably good places to buy. Um, so um, yeah, so then we we I I took a I only knew one friend who invested in real estate. My buddy Matt, he was our real estate agent who helped us buy our house, and he had a bunch of rental properties and things, and and does, does like infill. He does a whole bunch of different stuff. So I I took him out for a beer, and I was like, Matt, I need you to talk me out of something because I have a crazy idea. Like I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of buying a mobile home park. And he was like, no man, I know people who own those. They're cash cows. So, uh, wow. Yeah. So he, he ended up helping us find that, that, uh, that first, actually the first, first few, um, we basically just got a list of a list of all the parks, um, assessed it less than, I think at the time it was like five hundred thousand dollars in in the county, and sent a bunch of letters. And back then they weren't popular, so they weren't getting like bombarded with letters like they are now. Um, so we got a bunch of calls back, and we had a whole bunch of them to look at. And we're like, that one looks the best, so we negotiated on it and got our first park. So that's how we ended up into mobile home parks. <laughs> wow, um, that is so cool. And so that was uh, really kind of serendipitous of just coming across the initial Craigslist listing to even put the asset class on the radar for you. Totally. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I didn't know it was a thing until I stumbled across it on Craigslist. Um, so, so yeah. And then, and then, um, yeah, it was good. That, that was, the first one was a twelve lot park. I actually became pretty good friends with the guy that I bought it from. Um, I ended up selling him a park later, and we we still get together for lunch or coffee every month or two. Um, I, I yeah. love that. I love that you stumbled upon that. A lot of folks, like you said, you know, they they come in with a, a game plan or a strategy in mind. So curious, you know, I mean, walk us through the process of that first park, maybe even in terms of financing, because some people might be listening hmm. to this and they say, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea, but they they don't know anything about the process. So curious of like, you know, did you have money saved up? Were you guys going to manage it yourself? I mean, what was kind of your your education? Because it it's not like you were diving into the books for mobile home parks. Right. I was at that point. Right. So I, I tend to, uh, when I, when I see something and get an idea, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do that. Then, then I'll go read a bunch. And I, I feel like I'm pretty good at like, okay, I need to, I can't just go in like with blinders on. I need to know what I'm doing. So I'll read a bunch, but then, then I'll, once I've done the homework, I'll, I'll pull the trigger. Um, so yeah, so we, so I, I started Googling once again, just about mobile home parks. And there's, there's a site called, uh, mobile home university, MHU mobile home university, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's the Frank Rolf site. Um, so I got a bunch of his, he had once again, just a free ebook thing that had, here's uh, things to look for and due diligence and here's all the stuff. So, so that, that kind of helped me just kind of learn some of the lingo and like how you would value them with a cap rate and everything. And, um, so we had, um, we had not a ton of. We had some money saved up, but then we also we had, we, we the other I guess thing was like when I started doing the rich dad poor dad thing. I was like, oh, we need to save up so we can buy real estate. But I started looking around. And it was like, oh, we have equity in our house. So we at the time we took a HELOC out, and that's how that was the majority of our down payment for that. Um, and then the lending uh, lending on mobile home parks is tr- tricky. Um, it's a little easier nowadays um, than it was back then, but like a lot of places didn't want to do it. So. I, once again, I just went to Google and I Googled banks and credit unions. It's just a big list. And I just started calling them and I said, Hey, you know, we, we want to do, we want to buy this mobile home park. 
um, do you do financing for mobile home parks? It was like, no, no, no. And I just, I just literally went in order on Google and then I found one, um, Mountain West Bank in, in Boise. They're awesome. One of the vice presidents there actually owned a couple mobile home parks, so they understood it. Um, yeah. and so they did, um, you can't, it's not like a residential loan like you would get on like a four unit or less. So it's a commercial loan. Um, I think that one was just a straight amortizing 15 year, um, commercial loan on that one. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's how we got the financing. Um, if you get to bigger sizes now, I've since learned like the little ones are trickier, the, the bigger ones, there's like national folks who will do it. Um, uh, there's several national banks and there's loan brokers and everything. So if, if your loan is like 750 or a million and up, then, then it's easier. But if it's smaller than that, then you still kind of need to go call around all the local banks in the community and see, see who will do it. So that's awesome. Now, when you, it's funny. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, go ahead, Nick. You got it, man. Uh, I just was going to ask in terms of, you know, kind of hearing your journey going from, hey, I'm, I'm working too much. I've uh, not not at home to see my kids. I've then you scale back. Then you educated yourself when you set out on all of this. I mean, what has your goal been? Great question. Um, my goal originally was um, to try to get some of my time. I mean, it, it was really about time freedom, right? It was. I, I also like also went deep down the like financial independence um, reading path, um, the whole Mister Money Mustache thing, and everything else. So, so once I figured that out, then that has been the goal. Is I don't. I didn't want to be an engineer till 65. Right. And then it's like, I'm too old to do any of the things I want to do. Um, so, so the, the, that was originally the goal. Now it's kind of evolved since then, since I've gotten more into the mobile home park stuff. Now I'm trying to build this like mobile home park investing business. Um, and, and, you know, I've met so many of the folks in the mobile home parks and, and, and come to really understand the affordable housing crisis in the country and everything else. And so it's, I still, extremely value my time with my family but um at the same time it's also like hey it'd be pretty cool this is like my, my big hairy audacious goal it'd be pretty cool to put a dent in the affordable housing crisis somehow right and this is just you know well Corey, who's investing in some mobile home parks right now but it, it's they're they're a really great um they're one of the only affordable housing solutions that work without su- government subsidies like apartment the median apartment rents like two thousand dollars a month in the country right now it's insane um, mm-hmm. And that's median, and yeah. and so right. if if you have affordable housing like apartments, most of them are HUD. The only way they work is that you've got subsidies helping to pay, helping people pay for it. So it's and 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 you know the mobile home parks they get a bad rap. They have you know you can watch Trailer Park Boys and everything else that's got kind of makes fun of the residents and everything and, and paints a certain picture of them. Ninety nine percent of the folks in there are just good families who just need an affordable place to live. Um, you know, they want four walls and you can park next to it and you don't have a neighbor banging on your wall or, you know, a yard. It's, 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 it's just normal, good folks who just need an affordable place to live, which there aren't many of in the country right now. So, so it's, it's, um, so that's kind of become a little bit of my, my, my passion as well is just, um, yeah, trying, trying to eliminate some of the stigma and see if I can do something to, to, um, help. And a lot of these things are getting redeveloped, right? Like, 
Uh, what was it? There was one that started with a W down in Phoenix, Wendell, or I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm spacing on the name of the, the park, but it just got redeveloped, and the, you know, the residents had, you know, these residents had been there for decades. They've invested in the homes there and everything else, and there's no availability anywhere, so, and and a lot of these homes are too old to move, so it 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 shut down, and the residents get kicked out, and and they're in a big pickle, you, you know, when they thought they're investing this home somewhere. So there's kind of like, is there a way to preserve these things, and and try to try to put some money into them to, to 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 fix them up and make them actually last make them economically viable so that it's not like you know the, the used car lot or the warehouse is is the is the everyone talks about highest and best use right so like if can these things actually be run efficiently and and in a way that provides a quality place to live where where it's going to protect the community for the long term so that that's kind of Th- that's there's there's that and then and then I'd be lying if I said like time with my family wasn't a, a, a big priority as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I love how that's tied to a, a greater purpose and mission, and how you you see um, the benefit that you can bring not just to yourself and to your family, but to the the tenants and residents that I guess they're not really the tenants that they, they own the um, the. Well, I, I should ask: Are most of the places that you're investing in, um, where they're tenant-owned homes or park-owned? Correct. Yeah. Usually, usually, uh, in most cases, we'll try to go to the tenant-owned home model. So they own the home, we own yep. the land. So we're kind of in it together, right? We both have an yep. incentive to. You got the partnership. Be yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What has the um, operational side of uh, mobile home park investing looked like? I mean, you said the first one that you bought was a 12-pad uh, park, about that. Yes. Um, so were you doing a lot of the on-site uh, management? Uh, how intensive was that? Did you hire it out? And what does it look like now as you've grown the business? Yes, I think that's the biggest thing that's um, maybe a misconstrued um, is is it, it's ten and own. So if the toilet leaks, it's not your toilet; it's their toilet, right? Um, uh, so there's there's less maintenance, but it's not no maintenance. And um, so yeah, so the first the first few we got lucky. I, I didn't realize at the time, but the, it's really hard to find a good property manager for a mobile home park because there's just less property managers for them versus apartments. If you were to go buy an apartment building in a, in a decently sized area, there's a whole, you'll typically have a whole bunch of different property managers, property management companies to choose from mobile home parks. There, there's, there's only a few that do it nationally. And so I got lucky on that first one. There, there was a, um, Reina's RPM and specializes in managing mobile home parks in garden city. There's a ton of these little mobile home parks there and they did a great job. So I got to kind of observe what they did and kind of learn from that. Um, when we, so I, I got a, a 12, a seven, a two, and then we ended up selling the seven and the two and refinancing the 12. And then I bought a 50, 51 pad in Michigan. And then, um, so I, I kind of scaled up, um, yeah. um, that way, but, but so yeah, those first few were, were, were managed by Reina's. I had a park in po- then I had a park in Pocatello that I was, ma- I, and I was doing one of the parks in garden city myself and one, one in Pocatello where I had kind of an onsite person that I was managing which ended up being like the first kind of iteration of what we do now um and so yeah yeah and so what what we do now is um i i didn't um yeah yeah, the the big guys are are the big property management firms like you can some of them i think are hit or miss some of them are good and some of them aren't but they're really expensive so you really need to have 
like a hundred pad park or bigger to really make the math pencil out because they have a minimum amount that's for them to do their infrastructure and everything. Um, so what sure. we do, and most of where we're at now is like the thirty to fifty range. So we will okay. have an on-site person who is our is our on-site caretaker. Um, and what we try, what we do is we we automate. We use Rent Manager and Zego are a couple programs we use. Um, they interface really nicely, and so. It allows us to automate the rent collection. So we, we take away the, the part that the onsite person is always bad at is the rent collection. They're, they're typically not great at keeping track of stuff. No one wants to go knock on your neighbor's door and be like, hey, you got to pay the rent. You, you know, So we, we just take that whole scope away from them. And it's like, nope, you need to pay online. If you don't have, we, ha- we have older residents too, actually quite a few uh, who maybe don't have internet. So Zego partnered with a bunch of um, uh, different retailers, Walmart being the biggest one. So people don't have a bank account and they don't have uh, internet. They can just go pay at the customer service. They just take their number to the customer service counter to Walmart and they can pay their rent there. That's cool. So what's cool about that is a, it takes that scope away from the onsite person, so they get to now be the problem solver and the good guy, and they're just they're just the the yeah. kind of like the the liaison um, point of contact, and and so they they and it removes that scope, so it, it becomes much more a part time job. So so it it can reduce like people. We have had we've reduced the the co- like the the park we bought in Arizona. They had a really mediocre <laughs> to to at the, at best manager who they were paying. They were giving him a free house and thirty thousand dollars a year and all this stuff, and he was really like the residents hated him. He wasn't doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. He did us a favor, and right before we closed in the park, he quit. So we had to go find another <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> oh darn! <laughs> and we found an onsite. One of the one of the guys on site. You know, we talked to a bunch of people, and you know, we, we yeah. figured out like who's who. You know, who's who looks like they take care of their yard and stuff. Like they actually care about the community. And we found yeah. um, we found a guy who's great. His his wife's grandfather had actually built the park, so he was like, he wants to see this thing turned around. So he's like, oh, you don't need to pay me. I'll do it for free. And we're like, no, no, no we're, we're going to pay you. <laughs> but that's exactly the kind of uh, person that you, oh, yeah. you want, though, that like they're they're going to do it regardless. Exactly. And so you want to plug them yeah. into so, that. So that's it. So, so we've got the on-site person. We try to automate the collection process. So so the, the nice thing about it being automated, if they pay online or pay at Walmart, we know, like the, the program knows instantly when they've paid. So then you can automate a bunch of other stuff We've got the the statements automatically get mailed every month. Um, it, if for those who haven't paid, if it's if it's like two days before the late fee is going to kick in, it'll send an automatic text like, "Hey, friendly reminder, tomorrow's your last day to pay to avoid a late fee." Um, yeah. Right. So it's kind of like automates a bunch of that and gets a more consistent um, process. And, and so that's like the biggest scope that we've been able to kind of. Um, automate and then and then there's always issues still right like the we had everybody cooks with grease on Thanksgiving so we had definitely got the sewer main sewer line clogged on Thanksgiving call and we had a burst water pipe in one of our Minnesota parks on Christmas Day um, so so there's still stuff that happens right but um, but well, so so we, we've kind of built this like management thing a separate company actually that's that's our, our property management company now that our actual park ownership companies hire our management company to set up all these automations and run this. I mean, it sounds like you've got awesome systems in place um, and, and you've been doing it for a, a while now and certainly scaling and growing. So that's, that's great. I imagine a lot of that just comes with some of the experience and, and trial and error. Um, I am just kind of getting back a little bit to your first deal. And then even as you've mm-hmm. um, scaled up, uh, I'm curious about just the, 
taking the, the step of buying your first park and the uh, how risky that felt to you. I mean, I know that you were doing research, but it's still, uh, it's a big step to go into something brand new. And so just how you and your family um, approached that risk. And, um, and then similarly, as you talk about uh, uh, sewer lines backing up or uh, just different issues that, that you run into, um, you know what are what are some of the the challenges that maybe you mentioned getting lucky with your first property manager and being able to learn from them, but what have been some of the experiences where it's like, oh man, I was not prepared for <laughs> for this, or this is much harder than uh, than what it originally sounded like in the the bigger pockets forum or you know whatever. Yeah, there's a lot of that. So I've got one. Yeah, I've got the I got the big screw up story um, uh, that that I can dive into. So so there's that one, which isn't necessarily uh, like an ongoing difficulty, but but um, sure. But that could be helpful for our, yeah, our sure. listeners, though, if you're willing to uh, to go down that yes, trail with no, us. Ab- absolutely. So and and I I screwed up. Go extreme accountability and 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 take responsibility for it. I screwed up one thing and and. Um, it was on the Michigan park that we bought. Uh, it was a 51 pad park. Um, it had a wastewater treatment plant, which means it's like a little mini sewage plant um, because it, it was too. It was right on uh, right on the river, um, and it was um, too close to the river to do like a septic system. So it had. To, so I, I was very nervous going. I knew this going in. I was very nervous about this thing. Like I don't know. I got. I got to learn this, right? So I dove in and figured out all the different things to do on due diligence, and we had it inspected. And I interviewed the operator, and I talked to the county and the state and the federal EPA people and everything else and every it's 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 they're they're testing it like daily and everything's good the discharges are good everything's good um running just fine um and so i did that we bought the park everything's going pretty well we brought in brought in some new homes it's a beautiful really nice property right on the river with like stand-up paddle borders going by and stuff it's (laughs) nice spot um and then um one day I got a call that the building that the plant was in burned down. Um, oh, no. Totaled. Um, and the big mistake that I made, I did all that due diligence, um, but I took when, – when you're when – you're, when you have structures that you're going to insure, which you don't always in a mobile home park, so a lot of times you just own the dirt. But if you have an actual structure you're going to insure, this park had a, you know, one kind of regular stick-built house. It had an office. It had a like a barn thing that they stored stuff in, and it had this wastewater treatment plant building. There were four buildings. Um, the appraisal, the bank will make you get an appraisal, right? And the bank makes you get insurance. So, so the appraisal listed the replacement their their estimates of the replacement cost for each of these four buildings. And I took their word for it uh, at the appraisal. And that's my bad. I, in hindsight, should have gone and talked to a contractor. Uh, and this is a mistake I will never make again. I should have talked to a contractor and, and just double-checked. Like, hey, if we had to replace this thing, how much would this cost? Because they had it listed at $75,000. And it ended up being off by about a factor of 10. Um, so up to this point, the mobile oh. park stuff had gone great. Like, we, we took our net worth from close to zero to, you know, well into the seven figures. It's great. Uh, and then this thing happened and it was a pretty, um, pretty awful situation, honestly. Um, um, and so when it happened at first, I was like, Oh, we have insurance. Then you figure out like, Oh my gosh, like this thing's going to cost a lot. And 
while while this is going on, they have to temporarily pump the sewage out, and so they had to pump it on a truck uh, into a truck, and then the truck had to take it to the sewage, like the city sewage plant, which thankfully allowed us to do this, but charged us a fee. Um, so it was eight hundred dollars a load, is what it ended up being, with one to two loads a day, which added up to about fifty thousand dollars a month, um, which wow. we didn't have. So we did have some insurance. Insurance we had it. We had about two months of that covered. With with this uh, like extra expense thing in the insurance, so there, there's another tip for you when when you're when you're getting your insurance, uh, you know re- read it carefully. Some extra expense stuff kind of saved the day there. So we had a couple months to figure yeah. out something, and I'm like, w- once that insurance runs out, we can't. I mean, the park gross income for the park before you deduct any expenses or loan service or anything was like twenty five thousand. So uh, the fifty there, there was no way. So. I, yeah. I was freaking out. I was I was like, what do we do? Do we just have to tell the tenants they have to leave and just? Uh, but that we, we personally guaranteed the loan. Like, I'm thinking we're going to lose our house. I had a lot of teary conversations with my wife. Like, it was really stressful. Um, and um, but then I started calling. I, I just was like, call, like I got to figure something out. So I'm just calling everybody I know, like trying to get advice. I called Frank Rolf. Um, uh, <laughs> took the call and was super nice. Um, but the best advice wow. I got was actually from my friend, the guy I bought that first park from. Um, and um, he was like, "Dude, you just got to call your lender." He's like, "Your lender doesn't want that loan to go bad any more than you do, right? They don't want to have a, a non-performing loan. They don't want to own that park." Um, right. They want, and you just got to call them and level with them. And so I did, I just called him up. Hey, John, we got a problem. We got like big problem in, in, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. And thank goodness. Um, they were great to work with. Um, uh, yeah, John, um, he, he, uh, yeah, he was like, okay, we'll figure it. It's okay. It's okay. We'll figure it out. And so we, we looked at it. I had bought it at a really good price right at the COVID dip. It was like, I bought it. I went under contract in like April of 2020. Um, and oh, nice. way yeah. less than it was it, way less than it appraised for the previous summer. Um, and then we had brought homes in and we had built back water. We, you know, we'd done stuff to raise the value too. So he's like, you're, you're, you know, you have a bunch of equity in the park. Um, so we ended up, um, oh, and, and, and to, to set the scene even further, I was feeling real confident right before this, right? I have, all, I have cash flow from all these parks. Um, I had a, I had a, at this point I had a, a nice, um, you know, six figure, um, savings balance saved up. I had my HELOC that was totally paid off and empty. Um, so I had actually, this, this happened in October of 21. I had in September, I'd gone in to quit my job. Um, and my boss, thank goodness, con- convinced me to stay part time. Uh, wow. it was like a few weeks later that this happened. Um, so I still had a job. Um, and um, yeah, so we ended up between, so he did like a, a construction loan kind of refinance thing that we were going to have to um, then uh, basically, it ballooned in a year. So we were going to have to wrap this and the other loan into like a full refinance in a year. Sure. Uh, and we did that. We had all in, by the time you added up all the pieces of the insurance, it was like 200 of insurance. There was 700 something of the loan. And then I dumped my whole savings account and a bunch of my HELOC into it. And we, you know, we, we had to get it permit new, new wastewater treatment plant. Um, the, 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 the waiting, it was like nine months out lead time. So it was still not going to pencil. Oh my gosh. Somebody like the, I found a really great contractor, um, um, Midwest Power Systems, Brent Kanip was awesome. And he, he had a relationship with Legacy Environmental. And I guess they somehow they had some customer that had, was like in the queue coming up soon and didn't really need it in a hurry. And they like gave us their spot in line. Um, wow. 
um, yeah, like so people, right? And so, so, so ended up being the, the the main time constraint ended up being just getting it approved through the Michigan, um, basically Michigan EPA e- Eagle, um, and that that took multiple iterations. It was COVID, right? So like they had had a bunch of people quit, yeah, so all the people were sure. new, and it uh, and it was just like it, it was long, and then it was like we're finally gonna get it installed, and then. There was it was the spring thaw, and I guess in Michigan um, they put a weight limit on the roads for some indeterminate amount of time every spring while the ground thaws, and they were like, "Sorry, we can't drive it in because the ground is thawing." And I had to, I got on the phone with the, with, I had to get on the phone with the, the highway people and get like special permission because like, this is an emergency. <laughs> uh, we're trying to save this whole community. There's 51 households, families here that like are going to lose their home, and we're like we're like down to the wire with with having enough money for like one more month and we wouldn't, I don't think I've had the money with the pumping costs. So we finally did it. And then, and then the interest rates are rising and I'm realizing we we did it. We got the thing online. We did it. We replaced it. We made it. And now I'm like, but we're going to have to refinance this loan in March and the interest rates are going up. I'm like, Holy cow, I'm over leveraged. I'm not going to be able to service the debt once we refinance it with a higher interest rate. So I'm still closed. Um, So then we, we listed the park for sale. I managed to sell it um, uh, to someone who got a great property with brand new infrastructure, right? Nothing wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Um, um, and so, yeah, we, we sold it. We closed last October on that. Um, and so we, okay. we, recoup, we recouped some of the losses. So it ended up being a pretty good net worth hit, but I still have my house. And, and you, and and you survived. Stronger fit. So. Well, and I'll, I'll oh say this, gosh. Corey. I feel like I just uh, survived the story alone uh, on the edge of my seat. I couldn't imagine the months of turmoil and stress through that process. I, man, I'm curious, and thanks for sharing that, because not a lot of folks share the, yeah. the, the almost blowing myself up stories. Um, I'm curious in that, well, well, maybe twofold. One, did you and your wife look at each other and say, we're, we're not doing this again? Uh, but, but two, maybe, <laughs> what are the lessons in the failure? And not the practical, like, oh, get good insurance. But I'm just curious, too. Like, what did you guys learn about yourselves in that process? That's, I guess that's a great question. Um, maybe, I'm a, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> but um, but I, I kept going. Um, and, my, I mean, I learned that my wife's got my back no matter what, right? So that was pretty awesome. Um, and... Um, and yeah, I still love the mobile home parks. Like the other one, I'm still way, way ahead of where I would have been if I never got into these things. Right. And so it's like, that's a mistake I'm never going to make again. I'm going to take that and try to say, well, I just basically paid for an Ivy league education in infrastructure replacement. I know how to run an infrastructure replacement project now. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's just keep going, right? Um, and just keep trying to. If there's a problem, I like the vanilla ice, uh, the vanilla ice coat. If there's if uh, if you got a problem, you I'll solve it. So uh, if there's like an yeah. issue that seems hopeless, like just figure out like what's the next step and what's the next step, and um, mm-hmm. you know that's that's the best you can do. Um, so yeah, so we're trying to. So what, what I'm trying to turn the lemon into lemonade a little bit, um, and and saying like, hey, I know infrastructure projects right now. At the time this thing was first started, when I had this thing. I would have sold this park at a fire sale if somebody were to come in with the expertise to actually do this and the capital to do it. So, um, so we're, we're like the, I'm, I'm trying to use that now to my advantage and say, maybe if we can come in in a better spot and maybe there's other people that end up in this position and we can bail them out. Right. And get a property, a really good deal. So, um, we've yeah. actually got one like that. The, our park in Illinois needed, a, a 600 ish thousand dollar, um, 
uh, well system. It was on it was on private well well system replacement, and so we came in. We got the park at a really good price and a really big seller, seller credit for actually most of the the money to do it, and we we sunk some money into it. Um, and so we just actually we just finished that project that came online about a month ago. Um, we completed it, so we're, we're we're good. Like we, once again, it's like this community has this. It's on it's on well, and the system was going to fail, right? And so it was like you save the community, you help yeah. the the owner get out of a pickle with it, and now we've got a park that that we got way under value. So now it's worth way more than when we bought it. So I think we just generated a bunch of equity there um as well so so that's kind of fun like me so I, I'm, I'm trying to tell brokers uh, like the brokers i know and everything like hey if, if someone's in a pickle like well yeah. you know let's I'll, I'll definitely talk to them um um yeah so that's well, and I, I just love that <clears throat> we hear so often in the interviews that we do and people that we talk with just the the importance of um failing and learning from your failures in any entrepreneurial endeavor. And so this is just such a wonderful, like applied example of how, um, yeah, you took something that was extremely hard, extremely stressful, but now you have learned from it and are now finding ways of, of even leveraging that experience to your advantage. And th- there's multiple benefits, like you said. I mean, uh, we, we, sometimes people think they hear that leverage and it, it sounds like a, a manipulative or, or bad kind of thing. But no, like you're, what you're doing is you're providing real value to people that uh, have, have not gone through the experience that you've had, have not had the, the education that, that you've had by just having to go through it. So that's an encouragement to me and, and hopefully to our, our listeners as well yeah. of that like, uh, man, when, it, when it's really hard and, and feels like a failure, it, really it's, it's not a failure um, as long as you can learn from it and, uh, and use um, what you've learned to your advantage moving forward. And I think a lot of times there are plenty of people who would, you know, hear this story and say, yeah, that's not for me. Or they would be in that situation that you, you guys were in and say, yeah, we're, we're never doing this again. Like we're, you know, that can be very crippling. So I, I think, you know, as we've continued to hear your story, you know, two things have been pretty clear in my, my opinion. One is that you, you are constantly looking for ways to solve problems and two, you remain adaptable and agile because no no situation is ever the same. And so continuing to grow, continuing to get better, I think that's huge. Maybe in that same breath, what are some other pieces of advice that you would share with folks who are just getting started and maybe want to be where you are at down the road? Um, yeah, I would say just learn as much as you can and talk to just talking to people really has been the hugest thing for me um, and just trying to get around people who are a few steps ahead of you um, has been been really great. I, I think the uh, like the whole finding a mentor thing, um, if you find someone who's if you if you're like trying to find someone who's like 10 levels ahead of you, it may not be as a like for me, the most value has been finding someone who's ahead of me, but but still, you know, um, not not like light years ahead of me so that they still remember the things that I'm you know they still remember going through things and and you know th- so that's been really great like my um my friend Blake who I bought that first property from like I I've picked his brain so many times on stuff um and so yeah just like all the relationships I'm really grateful for so I, th- I think that's probably the biggest thing no that's I love that and and curious too just on your take with the climate today and maybe advice you'd give to folks who would be just starting out. I know that you 
just recently put in your notice. So congratulations in terms of going full-time investor, which is, which is awesome. Curious, you know, for folks who are, are maybe thinking about jumping in and doing something like that. I mean, what, what do you think about the climate today and, and maybe, uh, you know, some ways for them to get started? Absolutely. I, I think there's always opportunities. It's like every time, every time I feel like I, I, I'm sort of running up into a dead end, it's like you stop and take some time to think and look around. And so right today, it seems the challenge is the interest rates have gone up, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's been harder to find deals because everybody remembers what their property was worth a year ago and it's not worth that now or maybe a year and a half ago now. But um, and so, but I think there are the, the, the people who actually need to sell, I, I think there's, there's better buying prices. I think there's better. So I, I think it's actually probably a good time to start, start digging in and learning and looking because there's, I think there's more deals to come that are a lot more reasonably priced than the kind of crazy zoo that it was for the, those, uh, those COVID years. Um, and so, yeah, so, and, and just, you know, learning, learning and meeting people. And, and um, if, if people are trying to get into mobile home parks, I would say educate yourself. The, uh, the, the MHU, like the Frank Rolf boot camp thing, I honestly, I did that. I honestly wish I would have done that sooner um, rather than mm-hmm. just getting the free ebook. I, I actually, I already owned the, the wastewater treatment plant thing, and he had a slide in there that was like, Hey, wastewater treatment plants, they usually work great, but if they fail, it can be a seven figure problem. Uh, and I remember like thinking, huh? <laughs> like, well, I think we're- <laughs> that would have been, that would have been worth the course alone. Yeah. <laughs> and even then, you know, yeah, I didn't, like just didn't occur to me to look back at the insurance sure. coverage on it. So, so I know yeah. you just don't know what you don't know, but, but if you, if you yeah. get around people that do, um, I, I think that's, that's really good. And then like a lot of them are great. Like try and find you know, if you're just getting into mobile home parks, try to find ones that are, if they're mostly tenant owned, if they're city water, city sewer, you avoid a lot of problems. You don't have a lot of infrastructure then. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a little harder to find these days, um, than they were in 2016, but they're still out there. There's still a lot of, uh, older, like the old original moms and pops who are, you know, getting, getting up there and just want to retire. Right. So there's still definitely opportunity in the space. It's a good time for that. It's not, it's still not that consolidated, although it's getting there. Um, but compared to like apartment buildings where, where most of them are owned by big, you know, bigger, sophisticated groups, there's, there's, there's still deals to find out there for sure. That's encouraging. That's good. Yeah. Nick, do you want to go to some, some of the gold nugget uh, questions as we kind of land the land the plane yeah absolutely no Corey. this has been great right and uh we're, we're just going to transition yeah. right into the the gold nugget round we ask all of our guests these questions and so one of the things we talk about at abundant journey are the the six f's i'm just going to have you pick one but we like to say hey out of family finance faith fitness future and failures which we've hit we've hit a number of them already today but what's one of those that you're working on this year to improve Yes. So I think I'm working on just about all of those. Um, but th- if I have to pick one, I was going to pick the family one. And um, I-, I tend to get specific in, in what I uh, I talk about. Um, so I-, I have a bad habit of 
being on my phone a lot. I'm not like a social media guy, but it's like I, I love this mobile home park stuff, right? And I, I'm like, I, I'm always there's always texts and emails and all the stuff, and so I, I have a really bad habit of of like staring down at my phone and like, oh, I just missed a half an hour of my kids playing that I wasn't even paying attention. So what I've been trying to do is turn my phone off and plug it in in the other room every night by seven, so that I'm just I'm done and I'm just present. Um, and I'm really cool. bad at that. So the the hack that um, Actually, some in in that um, the the Better Life Tribe, someone someone showed me a hack on that. You, I, I turned my kids into the phone police. So I said, if they catch me on my phone after seven, they get a piece of chocolate. Um, so, <laughs> that's great. So uh, I love it. Yeah. So that's how I, I don't want to sugar my kids up right before bed. So that <laughs> no <what> no. <laughs> the only trouble is now they're always trying to like trick me into picking up my phone. Like, hey, yeah, <laughs> why don't you go get your phone? Uh, you're very smart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that, that's, that's awesome. awesome, and I I love that. That's a focus for you. I think we all can relate to that one. But you know, taking that a step further and and just trying to find practical ways to stay engaged. I think that you know, in thinking back through your journey, like your journey to get to where you are, so much of it was because you wanted to be present and it was because you wanted to be around and engaged with them and so you know uh now that you are working so hard towards that you know just implementing those practical things to keep you engaged i love that well next one here is what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you on your journey so I'm going to go with chase two rabbits, catch neither. And I don't know exactly where that – I've heard that attributed to Confucius or some old Russian proverb. I don't exactly know where it comes from, but it resonates with me a lot. I feel like anytime I'm trying to do too many things at the same time, um, they don't go that well. And if I it, – it, I, I tend to – do that because I get a lot of ideas like, oh, I should do this and this and this. And it's like when I really narrow down and focus is all of the – every time I've had like a major breakthrough like jump has been when I've narrowed down and focused on something for a while. So um, I, I'm going to go with, with with that one. When It was like, oh, I'm going to do real estate. Boom. I'm going to figure this out. Um, uh, I need to figure out you know how to, how to be better at work. Oh, I don't know. Like athletically, like I used to have my knees all shot now, but I used to run. You know, I, I climbed. I totally pivoted my, my focus to – running for a while and I was doing ultra marathons and stuff, but I, I had to totally focus. I'm not doing any other stuff. Right. So I, I like that. Um, um, kind of just reminder to not try to take on too much at a time. I'm going to borrow that quote. I'm working on our uh, first newsletter for abundant journey. And, uh, kind of the theme of it is just that focus is a superpower, uh, especially in today's distracted age. Mm. And so that's, that's helpful mm. as far as just honing in on, uh, one thing at a time. Yeah, no, that's totally. no good. What, uh, Corey, what's a dream or goal that you've had that you've not been able to make happen yet? So I, I've kind of always wanted to be able to take a trip with my family, like, like take a couple, like I, I've heard of the concept of like a red X month, right? Where you're just like, I'm not going to work for this whole month and we're going to go travel. And whether that be, you know, I've I wanted to do, I, I've got a bunch of family down in the Southeast, like the Carolinas and Georgia, and I've always wanted to go to New Orleans. So I, I thought it'd be really cool just to do a big road trip over there or after my kid goes through fifth grade to do one over by, you know, Washington DC and everything when they learn US history. And um, so I, I, I thought it'd be really cool to be able to do like a whole, 
like a red X month. It's like That's nothing awesome. else. We're just, we're just traveling for the month. So haven't figured out exactly how to put that together yet, but um, I'll get there. Well, I think you will. And sure. I think you're well on your way with uh, everything you guys are pursuing. So keep up the good work. That's awesome. Well, last question here at the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? I had a hard time with this one. I wrote down a bunch of ideas, but I had a hard time getting to just one thing. Um, but I, I think at the end of it that I was a, a, a good father and husband at the end of it. Um, I don't know. There's other stuff, right? Like, like I, I, I've got goals. I want to I put a big dent in the affordable housing crisis. So if it's, I guess it depends on who's doing the remembering. Um, I, I, I really like talking to people that are stressed out at work like I was and helping them try to just work through that and figure out a way to solve that just because I was there and it, I know how much it, it, it sucked. So I, I, maybe it's one or all of those. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think that that's right as far as, uh, you know, who's, who's doing the, the remembering, but, um, but yeah, like having the, again, that consistent theme and priority on just, all right. Uh, the, the place where I have the most impact relationally, wife and kids and so um keeping them at the forefront of all of the other business decisions and and whatnot that you you make that's i've been really encouraged um by that so um Corey, you're amazing, man. I, I love uh, love what you're doing. I'm uh, I'm super excited uh, as you now get to dedicate even more of your time and attention to Freedom Investing Group is the the name of the the group in, in investment business, right? Correct. Yes, that's right. Freedom cool. Investing Group. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited to see how that grows, the ways that you will be able to make that dent in the affordable housing crisis. I'm also grateful for you coming on and and sharing uh, with us. And I think that your goal of being able to speak to people who are stressed out at work, uh, hopefully some of that is is accomplished in this episode and hopefully you'll have even more opportunities. It's it's a real honor to be uh, the first uh, podcast host to to have you on. Um, you've, You've done fantastic. If, uh, if listeners want to connect with you, learn more about Freedom Investing Group, um, where would you have them go? Yeah, we've got – so freedominvestinggroup.com is our website, which kind of very high on my list once I've got a little more time here is updating that a bit. But, um, yeah, so that's the website. And um, we've also we, – we're on Instagram, and I am C-O-R-Y, Corey, at freedominvestinggroup.com. Sweet. Well, awesome, man. We'll definitely leave uh, some links in the show notes to Freedom Investing Group as well as to some of the books that you mentioned so yeah. that people can check those out and get that in as, as part of their DNA. But this has been so great. I, uh, I hope to stay in touch with you. I'll certainly be following along as you continue to, to build. Thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. It's been super yeah. fun. Thank you. Right on. Nick, unless you got any.